Welcome to Fountain Springs Online. At Fountain Springs, we believe in showing unconditional love, irrational generosity, and being unwavering in our mission to show people who Jesus is. We are one church in multiple locations that exists to help grow and guide your relationship with Jesus. We are so glad you've joined us today, and we hope that we can encourage, challenge, and support you in your walk with Jesus. Feel free to join us this coming weekend at any of our locations and services, or call or email us so we can help you in any way. We are so glad that you've joined us today at Fountain Springs Online. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. Hey guys, just got a question from Crystal Lynch. It says, hey Pastor David, I really struggle with to cook for meals at home. It always makes a ton of dishes. Sometimes I mess up the recipe and it always seems to make me stressed out. Help me please. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I've definitely got this one. Step one, uh, buy bacon. Step two, make bacon. Step three, Eat the bacon. Step four, repeat the process. And you're welcome. Thinking bacon now, aren't you? The whole thing's ruined. That's all I can think about. Uh, hey, uh, it's good to be back. If you don't know that we were gone, uh, go to church more often. We, we, uh, our family got to enjoy a good vacation and just get some relaxation. And I'm excited, though, being back and then ending this series on something that I think, well, it's super important. To do so, let me ask you a question. I just want you just internally thinking. How often do you get distracted? Just for a little bit, think. I don't know how honest you can be. Some of you are like, never, David. I am so, I'm laser focused. I don't, but how, have, you ever, have you ever gone into a room and you, you had intentions of doing something in that room, but when you got into the room, you're like, I came in here for a reason. I don't know why right now, but I'm, there's something. Maybe you went grocery shopping and a third of your cart ended up that was not on the list. You were just distracted as you went through and saw, well, we need some, of, some candy and some lots more candy. That happens to me when I go grocery shopping. Uh, I come back with more than the list that was given to me. I get distracted. You probably get distracted. If you were unable to actually look at your own life and be like, nope, never been distracted. I thought I might give you an example. So for your viewing pleasure, let me show you what distraction looks like. Take a look. Sometimes a dog just wants to be a dog. Even when she's competing at the prestigious Westminster Dog Show. Mia the Beagle is a contestant in the Agility Championship. Suddenly, she stops to sniff the turf and look around. Don't be a beagle! The play-by-play commentators love it, and so does the crowd. Caught up with Mia and her handler, high school student she Natalie Fisher. What was going on with Mia? It was um, very high energy, lots going on, and 
She really, um, I don't think she really know, knew how to handle it that well. Back to the race, but wait, a dog's gotta do what a dog's gotta do. <laughs> um, in that moment, the only thing that I could really do was just laugh. Um, I really wasn't expecting her to do some things she did. When Mia is focused, she aces the course, but her attention span seems very short, kind of like a dog's. Oh. <laughs> it sounded like a child like screamed in the background, and we think that she was looking for that. When she gets to the top of this obstacle, it's time to pause and pose for photos. Somebody want a picture? Natalie says it's not unusual for Mia to get distracted. Mia's 10 years old. She's actually super crazy. She might have not seemed that crazy at the show, but she is. She loves to have fun. Needless to say, Mia didn't win the agility contest, but she won the hearts of the crowd. All right, let's, let's have a little confession time. It's good for your soul. Whose life looks like that? Just a little bit, okay? Okay, some of you are liars. It's fine. We'll deal with that. Many of us, you're like, here's what I'm doing with my day, and you get done with the day, and you might say, well, I didn't do that. And Maybe you have a reason, but you still got distracted. And distractions are, are not all bad, okay? But if you live distracted, there's some problems that unfold, and that's the life hack that I want to talk to you about. If you are currently distracted by whatever, good, bad, whatever, we need to lean into that. In fact, the Bible really helps us. Let, let me just show you a little bit of what the Bible says about this. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. If you're new to the Bible, you're like, I had no idea I was running a race. Uh, no one told me, and I don't want to. I get that, but what this is saying, it's not... That specific, it's saying that you and I have a life. And if you want to run the life, the life that is fulfilling, if you want to run that, then you need to, well, it says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. If you're not catching, like you and I are supposed to live a life, a good life, a fulfilling life, and, and distraction and focus has everything to do with it. If you're not currently living a life that you thought you might, if it's not as fulfilling or great, if you're like, ah, I feel dissatisfied, discontent, things are not unfolding, perhaps there's a distraction issue at hand. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, then you won't become weary and give up. So this is alluding to, or maybe it's even super direct, that, that there seems to be a connection between giving up or, or enduring and distraction. So if, if you're not, there's a problem. See, because maybe you're going, well, I mean, David, every, everyone's, you know, has problems. If you didn't know that, that's my gift to you. We all have problems. But many of us will say, you know, what's the problem with being distracted? Like, everyone gets distracted once in a while. It's not a big deal because most of us are not great at assessing our own lives. And we, you might, might think, well, I'm just somewhat distracted. Maybe you're more than distracted. So here's the problem. Why do we need to talk about this? Distraction leads to apathy. And I'm going to guess, I'm taking a guess, you don't want apathy being one of your characteristics. 
Apathy is rarely anything that people aspire to. And in fact, if you're a parent, you're trying to parent it out. If you're a boss, you're trying to lead it out. Apathy is one of those things that begins to be destructive in our lives. And if you live distracted, you will become focused on all the wrong things. Now, my mom, I've told you multiple times, English teacher. So let me give you the definition of apathy, and it might help color a little bit here. Apathy is a lack of interest. If you find yourself right now uh, not interested in something that you're like, I should be interested in this. Or, or you're not concerned about something that's important. You know it should be important, but it's not. If you're just indifferent, then perhaps you would, and I would be mature enough to say that maybe, maybe it's more than a distraction issue. Maybe I've got an apathy issue. And see, we need to be concerned about this. If you aren't, then you're in danger of, let's just pick on our marriages. You're in danger of taking a marriage that at one point you were concerned about, interested in. You were not indifferent about it, but then you, you will find yourself going, I'm not as concerned about him or her as other things. School, have you ever started school off or did you ever start school off? You're like, I'm going to be awesome this year. Then about two weeks later, you're like, I've got other things to worry about now. You, okay, maybe, maybe you're not. There's a more dangerous piece to this. If you're not concerned about this, if you don't think this is a big deal, did you know that apathy always precedes sin? If you've ever found yourself living in a mess of things and you're going, what happened? And maybe, maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've had a friend who, who did something they shouldn't have done. You're like, I don't even know how I ended up here. You can be like, mm, I can tell you. you want, are you asking? <laughs> Apathy precedes sin. If you don't know what sin is, I can give you a brief definition. Sin is simply missing the mark. More specifically, missing God's standard. So some of you are like, oh, it's just sin? What's the big deal? If you don't care about sin, I know what you do care about is peace. You want peace. All of us want it. All of us want to wake up and live in peace and to go to sleep in peace and not to have our minds rocked with, with things that we are missing and breaking apart. I know that we all care about peace. And if you are living in sin, if you're constantly living by your standards, not God's, then you're robbing yourself of peace. And apathy will take all the peace you could ever dream of and remove it. That's why we have to talk about this. Because if you're currently distracted, you're in danger of getting into apathy. If you're in danger of getting into apathy, you're in danger of losing all peace and living in sin and throwing your life away. If you've ever wondered how you ended up in a place you didn't want to end up, oftentimes, oftentimes, if it was your choice, apathy was a part of that. You stopped caring about the important things. So my goal is not to be like, I'm apathetic, I suck. That's not the point. And in fact, if you, life hack part, if you, if you want to break this, if you're like, I don't want to live distracted my whole life. I don't want to live there. I definitely don't want to be apathetic. I mean, come on, then what do I do? Well, I can give you two crucial questions to begin to ask of yourself, not the person next to you, you. Here, here's the two questions. What should I focus on? If you're like, well, if, I, if I'm distracted, I shouldn't focus on that. What should I focus on? And then how do I get focused? I find this fascinating. 
Most pastors, or if you have a coach or a teacher, or even spouses, can we say that? Parents, we're good at saying, hey, you should focus on this. And in fact, if I said, hey, what's a list of the things that you should be focusing on? Most of us are like, how long do we get? I got 20, 30, maybe 100 things, right? We're brilliant at telling people what they should focus on, and we're horrible at saying how to do it. So I want to quickly deal with this. And then I want to go after this. If you're currently distracted by life, good, bad, if you're currently consumed, even right now, where it's hard to even focus on what I'm talking to you about because you're thinking about tomorrow or who's with you or what's coming up or what you've walked through or what you're wrestling with, if you're currently just living in distraction and you don't want to be consumed by it, what should you focus on? Grace. It seems a bit simplistic at first, but I would argue it's one of the most powerful words that you and I could ever live out. See, most of us would agree that we're supposed to love other people. I think we live in such a toxic world where people are destroying other people and it's just needless grace. Bible even sums it up where we're supposed to love other people and love God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you and I all have different versions of love, right? That's why I think that is perhaps at times a more powerful word than love. Grace. You want to know how powerful that word is? Have you ever had someone not give it to you? Probably. Have you ever refused to give it to someone? I have. Grace is monumental. If you have any kind of relationship with anybody, God or any human being, your relationship will not work without that. That is so powerful and so needed. And if you've got life, which most of us have life going on, and you're like, what do I focus on? What would affect everything in my life, Grace? Let's walk this further. Let Let me give you a statement that I think will help us walk this further. Grace is a vehicle God uses to give us what we don't deserve. This is why you and I have a difficult time giving it to people, because we're like, well, they don't deserve it. You're like, mm mm But do you know that God looks at you? And does not measure up what you have done and say, you know what, you don't get grace, but the person next to you does. If you are currently so consumed with life that you're like, I don't know what to do, that's all I think about, then table it for a moment. Even if just this time we have together, table it for a moment and just dwell on grace. If you're consumed by life, grace. Grace is this powerful thing that God gives us that says you don't deserve this love, this forgiveness, this mercy, but he gives it. Grace is powerful. And if you are indifferent about God, if he does not mean anything to you, or if if it just seems dry, then I would say grace. If you wish but don't know how to make it happen, if you wish that God would be this powerful force in your life, grace. If you're tired of religion, grace. If you're tired of things being meaningless or going through the motions, grace. And a good coach or a pastor or whatever says you you and me, we we should focus on grace. And that's typically where the sermon ends. Thanks for coming, right? 
You're like, I'm just supposed to think about it? I don't know how to do that. Meanwhile, in the real world, do you know that Jesus gave you and I a life hack about focusing on grace? Let me give you a hint of it. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said this. If you're new to the Bible, you're like, that seems insignificant. It's not. Jesus is saying this. Hey, I want you to do this. I'll talk about what the this is later. But do this so that you remember me. And he's not going because I think you're going to forget my name and that I ever showed up. That's not the fact. He was not concerned that they would forget who he was. He's saying, do this so you remember the grace I'm going to give you. Do this so that you do not get so messed up with life and distracted by everything else that you forget grace. And many of us are guilty. I'm guilty of this, where things happen and I forget about the grace of God. Do this so you don't forget the grace. So I'll tell you, you ought to focus on grace every day. But let's get into how. You see, Jesus, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this remembrance. He said it at a meal. Grace happened at a meal. Now, for some, we're like, so what? Oh, there's so much meaning in it. You see, in ancient tradition, if you needed to forgive someone or they needed to forgive you, you had to have a meal. I mean, it sounds pretty awesome, actually. But that was the way to do it. That was the way to resolve things. If you had a problem, a rift, a, an issue, if you had family issues, if it was a friendship, a work thing, that you resolved it over a meal. And if you want to get grace, then you need to get the significance of the meal. In fact, let me, let me walk you through history. Let me show you something that was written. It might be somewhat familiar. Psalm 23, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, some of us read this you're like, yeah, he did. Some of you are like, so you, you envision this, this God makes a meal, and so you get to just eat with your mouth open right in front of all your enemies and gross them out. Some of us are like, oh, yeah, this is despite the enemies. No, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies so we can resolve things. We as Americans often say, oh, that's to tout your strength and authority. No, it was... God, you help me forgive the people I don't want to forgive. You help grace happen. Meal. Let me take you to one of the stories that we as a church have locked on and talk about tons. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. A meal. This is a story of the prodigal son. The son basically screws the whole family over. Leaves, screws them all over. And then returns. And you're like, mm-hmm. We must celebrate when the son returns. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now, has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Basically, the son's come back. It's time to restore the relationship. How do we do that? A meal. If you're still not getting it, let's go to more specifically something Jesus taught us. He's like, all right, you don't know how to pray? Let me teach you to pray. Give us each day our daily bread. Now, if you don't understand this, bread, especially at that time, was, was a necessity, a staple of every meal. I know some of us are kicking carbs, and you're like, mm, can't do that, sorry. But that was normal back then. Bread at every meal. 
Bread was seen as a source of life, a meaning of life, because the seed would die. They could grow what needed to be grown to where they could make the bread. And the bread was always broken, by the way, never cut. You and I, we think sliced bread is awesome, right? right? Back then, like, ooh, you don't, you don't cut bread. You break it. It was disgraceful to cut bread because it represented life. So every meal, there was bread. So that's why Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to teach you how to pray. Give us each day our daily bread. In other words, give us the meal we need every day. You catching that? Give us the meal we need every day. Then, then watch how he keeps going. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Do not disregard the order that the meal was first, the forgiveness was second. Do not disregard and think, oh, Jesus accidentally just was just kind of naming things off. No, he wasn't. If you want to understand grace, if you want to get it, if you don't want to be so distracted by life that you fall into apathy, you've got to understand grace, which means you have to understand the meal. And let me take you to another place where Jesus made a description that at first is kind of weird. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. There's the bread reference again, the meal part. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, unfortunately, there are traditions that teach this is absolutely literal. So Jesus is saying he's a physical piece of bread and he's a beverage. That's not what this is saying. But you and I read it like, wait a minute, so bread is the source of life. It's all about a meal. There's the wine. At every meal, there was always bread and wine. And he's likening himself to bread and wine. And I don't get it. It's because you and I don't think this way. But if you can learn to think this way, you get grace. You understand it. See, here's the problem you and I wrestle with. Now, now I'm about to tell you something that if you aren't paying attention, it's going to go over here and be like, what was that? What was he saying? You can't miss it. If you miss what I'm about to tell you, it's all going to fall apart and you're going to be like, that was all weird. So give me all of your attention at least for a few minutes. And when we read that Jesus says, I'm bread and I'm wine, and we're like, what is that? It's... Greco-Roman thinking versus Semitic thinking. You and I have a tendency, we're raised to think like what's called the Greco-Roman thinking. Jesus, when he spoke and it was being recorded, had Semitic thinking. And if you don't understand this, you won't understand grace. So let me explain it by having you take a look at this table. So we're going to have a participation moment here. You don't, I don't want you to say it out loud because some of us will embarrass ourselves. But, but let's just, in our, in our minds, get ready to have thoughts. In your own thoughts, your private thoughts right now, I want you to describe this table. Right now, just, just don't say it out loud. Just you got thoughts. You can do this. It shouldn't take too long. It feels like kindergarten class just for a moment, but follow me. Describe this table in your head. If you think with Greco-Roman thinking, you may have used words like that's a wooden table with stain, painted legs. Maybe you even went as far to say that is rectangle, and you're proud of yourself. Most of us who think Greco-Roman-like, we like, well, I'll describe to you the color or, or, or the structure of it uh, or the form of it, Right? By the way, I'm not hating on that. That's how I describe things and think of things. It's how we train our kids to think. And you're like, yeah, that's what it is. And some of you are like, am I not seeing what I should be seeing? Let me help you understand Semitic thinking. You want me to describe this table like a Jewish person would have? 
Oh, this is where we eat together. This is, this is where we celebrate. You want me to describe this? Semitic thinking is not like, I'm not going to tell you color. I'm not going to tell you that how it looks or what it does. I'm going to say, hey, this is where I had the conversation with my son that was pretty tough. Oh, oh you, want, you want me to describe this? This is where we celebrate birthdays. See, their thought was more about, about the function of it. This is where we have meals. This is where relationships happen. This is where we discuss things. This is a big deal in our family. This is why some of us are annoyed. You want to know what Jesus looks like, but you don't. You're like, oh, uh, blonde hair, blue eyes. <clears throat> no, no, he didn't. The Bible doesn't describe Jesus because it didn't matter. If you want to see a description of Jesus, they would have said, oh, he's my savior. He's my rabbi. They don't say, oh, you want to know about Jesus? Oh, he's the guy with uh, shoulder-length hair, kind of curly. No. But some of us were raised in traditions to believe it was literal. If you want to understand grace, you've got to think in Semitic thinking for a little bit. Let me show you something. In the Bible, he had given thanks, he broke it. The bread broke it. And said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He was describing grace and what he was doing, if you don't know, he was giving you and I a life hack. But unfortunately, and I'm not trying to hate on things, I'm just telling you the truth. There have been traditions that have said, oh, it's literally the body. No, it's not. That's not how they thought. They did not describe things that way. It, he's saying, all right, you're going to have a meal together on a regular basis where there's going to be bread and there's going to be wine. So he broke the bread like they always would have broken it because, but for now on, this bread represents my body. Now that ought to weird you out just a little bit at first. Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. If that confuses you at first, I can take you a little bit more deeper into what this means. Let me show you more of the Bible. This is important. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. If you're like, I don't get what that means. The most holy place. Back then, a long time ago, there was a curtain. If you went to church, there would have been just a curtain. You couldn't pass the curtain. If you passed the curtain, some of you, you're, you're sneaky. If you would try to pass the curtain, you would have died immediately. Because on the other side of the curtain was the representation of the presence of God. In fact, only one guy got to do it, and they had to tie a rope around him because they were afraid he was going to die too. So if he died, they could still pull him out because no one's going in there to get him. It was so holy, there were rules to it. Everyone did not get access to God. We've taken advantage of our access to God and now become indifferent to God. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence that we get to be in the presence of God by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. <laughs> How honest are you willing to be in church? If you're new to this, you're like, wait a minute. Pastor, I was following along. You were talking about Jesus. His body represented the bread. I somewhat understood it. And now his body represents a curtain. Uh, what? 
So many, many of us pretend like, oh, I totally get it. It totally resonates. Curtain, I call people curtains all the time. No, you don't. We read the Bible and sometimes we just go through and like, I don't get it, but they just keep moving forward. This describes grace. What I just read to you is that Jesus' body was described as the curtain that blocked the presence of God. Matthew 27, then Jesus shouted out again as he's on the cross and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two. Broken. From top to bottom. This was not a moment where God was trying to be dramatic. It was incredibly symbolic. And in fact, there are people who never followed Jesus, didn't like Jesus, historians way back then who wrote down, we don't understand what just happened, but that whole curtain giant thing, that, that, ju- that just pfft, split. Jesus made it possible for anyone to receive grace. So he's sitting at a table and he's saying, you're going to forget grace You're going to get distracted by life. Your relationships are going to start to fall apart. Things are going to get consuming, the good and the bad. And you got to remember grace. And the only way that I, I think this is the best way. In fact, he even said, hey, do this often. Break bread. So breaking bread when you eat, just so you know, when we have communion, when the bread is broken, you and I are supposed to take that moment and realize we have access to God. It is unpopular what I'm about to tell you. Jesus said, there's only one way to the Father. Jesus, out of his mouth, did not say, hey, there's multiple ways to God. He said, there's one way. And if you've ever read it, he said, he was the way, the curtain. He was the only way, is the only way. And when Jesus is sitting with the disciples, he's saying, you've got to remember this. So he broke bread. He says, I'm about to give you grace. I'm about to let you have access. But you remember that there's not just bread at the meal, right? Again, not my words. And, and he took a cup of wine, okay, and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood. Now, again, he's not being Greco-Roman with this. He's not like, that is, that is actually going to turn into blood. No. If someone has taught you that, unfortunately, they're incorrect. For this is my blood. It represents my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out. That's why we have this blood talk that might be spooking some of us out. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. See, when I first read to you that apathy precedes sin, I wonder if some of us were like, oh, that's no big deal. Everybody sins. But sin has major consequences. And the only way to resolve sin is that death has to happen. In other words, forgiveness isn't free. And Jesus knew that you and I would forget this. 
and that we would eventually end up in a society who's like, oh, you've sinned, I've sinned, no big deal. You're imperfect, I'm imperfect, so what? Meanwhile, sin just sits there. And sin separates us from God, separates us from peace. So Jesus, out of his goodness and his love for us, said, guess what? You're going to forget grace. He gave us access and forgiveness, but it's not free. Sin requires death. I don't know if you've ever reflected on this. When Adam and Eve, most of us are familiar with the story, Adam and Eve, the first people that sinned, they ate the fruit. They weren't supposed to eat the fruit, but they ate the fruit. Do you remember God's reaction to them? They felt shame immediately. Shame. That's what sin does, brings shame into our lives. And God's reaction to them, he gave them animal skins to put on his clothes. Have you ever thought about where those came from? A sacrifice had to happen to get the animals. And since that moment, death has been necessary to cover your sins and mine. And that's why Jesus died on the cross to cover your sins and mine. And he was perfect, and so it is a permanent covering. Forgiveness, it's not free. Look how Philippians describes this. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He, he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And many of us we join religion and ritual, and we're just trying to feel better about ourselves. And meanwhile, God's like, hey, I want you to know grace. Do you understand how grace revolutionizes us and our creator, us and our regular relationship? It changes everything. And some of you won't like what I'm about to say, but it's true. Communion disrupts our apathy. Communion is a life hack before life hacks were created. Communion was never intended for Jesus at a table with his disciples going, I need to create like a ritual for this religion thing I'm starting. No. Jesus knew that you and I would get apathetic about life. We would become indifferent, especially with him and in our marriages, in our schools, in our workplaces, that you and I would actually begin to just live in neutral. Communion disrupts our apathy. So, as leader of this church, I declare that we should have communion more often in our homes, in our workplaces, with our kids, on a date with our spouse or even the person we're dating, you wanna weird them out? Hmm? If you grew up in a tradition that this wrecks you, I, I just challenge you to study the Bible and find in there where it says that the only person that can lead you in communion is at a church service with a certain person. You and I ought to be having communion more regularly. And so with our families, our friends, our roommates, 
How about our enemies? You want to blow their minds? Or you and I remember, wait a minute. I know we got this problem, this rift, this issue, this stress, but we got to remember in all of this, we get access to God and forgiveness. So here in a little bit, I'm going to invite anyone who wants to to participate in communion where you'll come up and you'll, you'll get a little cup of juice and a little piece of bread. You'll take it back to your seat and, and you'll eat it and drink it. But I hope you will not do it as a ritual. I hope you'll do it as a way to disrupt your apathy. If you're currently distracted by whatever in life that you're going, you know what? I'm going to break this distraction. I'm not going to let life take charge of me. I'm going to take charge of it by remembering grace. That's what we're about to do. By the way, if you're like, well, who's allowed? Uh, what are the rules? I'll, sh- I'll, show you, I'll show you the rule. For God so loved the world, that would be everybody, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes... It does not say whoever is a member of such and such. I don't even know if we do membership anymore. I'll ask. I'll find out. Whoever believes. For those of you who were taught something different, I am so sorry. I want you to participate in communion. My prayer is is that you do it every day with the people that you love and care about. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for us. And when I say amen, that's going to step us into a time of communion. But my guess is there's some of us who, who... who have been following Jesus, we love Jesus, we're like, got that. This has been a confirmation of things. But some of us are like, I don't think I ever like officially believed anything. I... You do not have to be around a certain amount of time. God has offered you a seat at his table. Grace. So if you want to participate, you must believe that Jesus died for you. That he let himself be beaten and crucified, giving you access and forgiveness. That's the requirement. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to pray with you. And I'm going to give anyone and everyone an opportunity if you never have, if you've never declared to God that you believe in him. You don't, if you've done it before, you don't have to do it again. We've never done it before. Just privately, quietly, I'll give you some just guidance on what to pray. So you, you just some, something like this. God, I, I believe in you. I, I, I choose to trust you today. Would you forgive my sins, please? Wash my sins. Cover my sins. Take them all away. I believe Jesus died for me and gave me access and forgiveness. God, I hand my life over to you. Help me, strengthen me, 
fill me with your peace. But God, I am yours. I trust you. I follow you. I love you. God, I pray for all of us. Whether we've prayed a prayer like that before or, or never. Lord, I feel like it's a time to ask for your forgiveness. So God, I ask on behalf of our whole church, would you forgive us for the moments we've lived in apathy, distracted by things we never should have been distracted by? And God, would you remind us of the grace that you've given us God, we hand this time of communion over to you. We do remember what you did. Oh, we remember. And so we focus on it. God, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would do a miracle in our hearts right now, that you would help heal and restore souls, that you would do a miracle in our lives where where you become the most important, focused on part of our life. We love you. This is all about you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.